Radio. Hello and welcome to this Lumen Verum Apologetics Lecture by Anthony English on the topic, The Life of St. Augustine. This August 2007 recording comes from one of Lumen Verum's Friday Evening Apologetics Lectures at St. Michael the Archangel Parish in Belfield. Anthony English is a regular speaker at Lumen Verum. Tonight, a little bit at the life of a very, very great and very famous uh, saint and uh, church father, Saint Augustine. And uh, if you if you know anything at all about Saint Augustine, you probably know that he was uh, a little, a, a bit of a lad uh, before he before his conversion, which uh, sometimes is gives great, great uh, courage to those who are. Uh, uh, well, who, who have sins that we're that, that we're, we're struggling with? Uh, it's it's nice to know that the saints don't all begin well, but they all end well. So there's hope for us all. Now, I'm going to uh, base my talk on uh, largely on an apostolic letter by, by Pope John Paul II from 21 years ago, almost today, the 28th of August, 1986. And it's called uh, Augustine of Hippo. Hippo has got nothing to do with the animal. He, that's where he was from. Now, Saint Augustine was born in the fourth century in uh, 354 AD, and uh, he bought, he died in 431 AD. And in that time, well, that is so far away so far remote from our own time that we think, oh, well, it's just some other saint who was part of it. Yet Augustine is probably the most, outside of the Holy Family, would be the, uh, or certainly the very best known of all of the saints since the, in the, uh, the first millennium. And we still have hundreds of his sermons and, uh, and many of his writings. He used to preach sometimes for the whole day. Don't mention that to your local parish priest. <laughs> you might take encouragement from that. But uh, uh, yeah, he's, he would sometimes he would teach catechesis for the whole day or, or, or preach sometimes for, for hours on end. And uh, people would come to listen. He was a very great speaker, a very eloquent uh, speaker. But he had a, a real gift of contemplation as well. And he was, he was blessed with a supernatural light. He was uh, touched with a great light. But in fact, Pope John Paul says that ever since uh, his death, in, uh, since uh, Augustine died in 354 AD, he has been present ever since in the life of the church and in the mind and culture of the whole Western world. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that Augustine was one of the very few great champions of the, the West, of the, the culture of the West, uh, the foundation of our civilization. In fact, when, uh, when Rome, when Christian Rome was burnt to the ground, uh, Saint, uh, there were three, three saints who preserved through their teachings, through their through their writings, who, who preserved uh, preserved Christianity. I mean, Rome had died. Rome was gone. 
and that was that was a major thing. That was like saying Europe is gone, or or the West is gone, or the East. It was a major uh, disaster for the world. It was like the end of the world, really. Saint Jerome was uh, translating the Bible from Hebrew and and uh, and Greek into Latin, and uh, when Saint Jerome heard that Rome had been burned to the ground, he bashed his head against the wall of his cell in his monastery. He thought it was the end of the world. But he kept writing. He said, well, okay, it's the end of the world. What do I want to be caught doing when the world actually comes to an end here, now, here in my monastery, in my cell? I'll be faithful to my duty here and now, which is what he did. And through Augustine's, uh, through uh, Jerome's writings, uh, the the whole of the scriptures were preserved. Monumental. But he had no idea. He was just a simple monk translating. That was all he was doing. He had no idea of what an influence he was going to have. Saint Benedict. Uh, Benedict was uh, really the founder of the monastic life. Well. He founded uh, communities, first he was a hermit himself and then he founded some communities to, to try and live a, a very uh, rugged uh, Christian life based on true poverty, on work and on prayer. And uh, all the cities had been burnt. The city was gone. Uh, so we, we mentioned Saint Jerome. Saint Benedict formed monasteries. Just got a few men together, said, let's pray and let's work. That's what God wants us to do, let's do it. But of course, people had fled out of the cities. They had nowhere to live, they had nowhere to go. They were refugees, a whole lot of them. Where did they go? The monasteries were self-sufficient. And so they started to, they would give food to the poor, the people who would come. Eventually, whole towns, cities, were found and built around those monasteries. What a, an incredible, incredible influence Benedict had on Western civilization by simply starting a monastery himself. By running away from the world, it might appear to us, but in fact that was the foundation, that was the very heartbeat of the world. And the third one to react against the, the destruction of Rome was Augustine who we're looking at tonight. Augustine wrote his, his monumental book, The Confessions of St. Augustine. It's a good title for a book, isn't it? The Confessions. And he, uh, he also wrote a great <coughs> work known as The City of God. And The City of God speaks of, says that there are really two cities. Even within each of us, there are two cities. There's the city of God and the city of the world. And, and, uh, and that we are citizens of the, the city of God through grace, through baptism. That's what we're called to be. That's why the great role of, uh, of, of being a parent is, is to make citizens for heaven. It's a wonderful thing. Not for everybody, but it's true. So, so I don't think it's any exaggeration for John Paul to have said, Pope John Paul to have said that uh, Augustine has been present ever since, since his death in the life of the church and in the mind and the culture of the whole Western world. Because I, I would hold that these three men, really preserved, uh, were, were 
instrumental in preserving and forming and building uh, the, the very foundation of, of uh, the Christian West, which was the West, was Christian anyway. In fact, um, very few could rank with Augustine for the very great acuteness of his genius, for the richness and sublimity of his teachings, and finally for his holiness of life and defence of Catholic truth. The very great acuteness of his genius. Augustine was a genius. It is one of the great things that Aristotle points out. That the great mark, the mark of a great teacher, is his ability to give good examples. And Augustine is eminently quotable. You can. Uh, I, mean, I love St. Thomas Aquinas, but you've got to study Thomas. <laughs> Whereas Augustine, you can just pick out a quote. You can just just open a book at any page. Oh, maybe not that page. No, no, any page. <laughs> and then, how can the infinite God of earth and heaven come into my small heart? And how can I invite to enter one who is already there? Because he is present in all things. And yet, even heaven and earth cannot contain you any more than my heart can. It's not possible to limit one who fills everything. But to say you are everywhere, Lord, is not to say that everywhere has all of you. You see the paradox, eh? Though you fill all things, you do not of necessity give them all of yourself. We've all got a little bit of God, haven't we? So I will pray that my heart, where you already have a foothold, may receive more and more of you, until one day the whole of me will be filled with the whole of you. Isn't that the sublime? And that was just randomly, randomly picked from a book called The Wisdom of St. Augustine. Yeah. Augustine was, yeah, the, greatness, the great acuteness of his genius, the richness and sublimity of his teachings. His teachings were so sublime, so elevated, carrying us to heaven, from earth to heaven. And finally, for his holiness of life. Well, you can't really hide your first love and Augustine's first love was God after his conversion and and uh, you can't hide that and that's why people came to him people flocked to him he was a great defender of, uh, of Catholic truth and his uh, he, he really formed the foundation of uh, theology and well ever, ever since his own time since his own writings he's, he has really uh, outlined the the uh, the boundaries of the debate and the, the guidelines of the debates on on theology. In fact, in the Summa Theologica, the Saint Augustine is the that's the Saint Thomas Aquinas's great great work, a summary of theology. Uh, uh, Saint Thomas quotes no one more than Saint Augustine. Now, and so uh, Pope John Paul recommended that we keep the fascination of Augustine alive and attractive even in modern society. And so that uh, because the exact and heartfelt knowledge of his life awakens the thirst for God. If you have heard anything of St. Augustine, you would have heard this. You would have heard this saying that Augustine wrote. He said, You have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. 
You have made us for yourself, O God, uh, for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. It's on page one of his Confessions of St. Augustine. It's a very difficult read. I read it for the first time when I was 21, a couple of years ago. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's heavy going, but it's absolutely worth it. I remember reading it thinking, I have never, ever read anything like this. This is just so, not just so different, but so great, so uh, elevating, so captivating. Uh, it's, it's heavy going, especially the first time. But the Confessions of St. Augustine, uh, you really should read it. It's a, it's a spiritual classic. The exact and heartfelt knowledge of his life, away, in fact, Augustine says at the end of his life, or he says later on in life, he says, what work of mine has, has been as, uh, as popular as the Confessions, as my Confessions? The exact and heartfelt nature of his life awakens the thirst for God, the attraction of Christ. Because the saints are like arrows pointing to our Lord, aren't they? They're not uh, drawing us so much to themselves as, as drawing, drawing us to our Lord through them. And the nearer that they are to, to the heart of Christ, the nearer they are to the fire, the more warmth and the more light they're able to give out. He had the love for wisdom and truth, he, he speaks to us about the need for grace, for prayer, for virtue, fraternal charity, and yearning for eternal happiness. So we'll, we'll see, we'll visit a few of those themes again, but there's the need for grace, because grace is the heart of the supernatural life. It's the heart of our life in God, is, uh, is the life of grace. The need for prayer. Why do we need prayer? Well, we don't do we don't pray to help God. God doesn't change, and whether you pray or not, God it doesn't change God. Prayer is disposing our own hearts to receive God's gifts, and uh, and then for virtue, which is those good habits that we all struggle to attain, and we. We have, in fact, when you're declared a saint, which one day I hope all of you will be, but uh, when you when you are when the church canonizes you, the first thing the church looks into is did you have Christian virtue to a heroic degree, and then yes, church finds that you did have Christian virtue to a heroic degree, good, you'll be declared venerable. And then some, someone on, on earth, this is after you're done, uh, someone, on, uh, someone here on earth might pray for your intercession and through your intercession, uh, through your prayers, uh, a miracle may be granted which can be verified for the church and then you can get beatified and then after your beatification, uh, then, then you'll be uh, canonised. But don't start thinking about this uh, because you'll uh, start writing your own canonisation homily or something like that, which is probably not a good thing to do, but uh, the, the first step to sanctity is heroic virtue, Christian virtue to a heroic degree. And as we said, a virtue is a good habit. So we see that uh, the famous confessions which I've mentioned are worked that is simultaneously autobiography, 
Augustine writing about himself. Philosophy, which is how we understand things. Augustine devotes, uh, Saint Augustine devotes, a, 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 I think maybe a whole chapter in, in Book Ten, or a, quite a, quite a few pages anyway, to the question of time. What is time? It's a hard one, isn't it? Well, Augustine says, I know what time is until somebody asks me. It's very hard to define what do you mean by time? And he looks into what is memory. Philosophical questions, which means that we can, questions that we can understand, think about by our reason alone. Even if we didn't have faith, we could still examine the question, what is time? What do we mean by time? Theology, of course, which is understanding uh, faith, understanding proceeding from faith, reasoning from our faith. Mysticism. Uh, now, the work in which those who thirst, so the confessions of St. Augustine, a work in which those who thirst for truth and know their own limitations have always discovered their own selves. It's a great work of self-knowledge. It's, a, it's, it's like a prayer, reading the, Saint, reading the confessions of St. Augustine. Uh, reading them slowly, meditatively, prayerfully, because he draws so much on scripture. He, he speaks about God and then speaks to God, which is a great uh, introduction to prayer, a great formation for prayer. And yes, as I quoted before, which of my works succeeded more often in being known and loved than the books of my confessions? And uh, yeah, that's true right through history. And Augustine's um, conversion, it took a wholly individual path because it wasn't a case of arriving for the first time at the Catholic faith, but of rediscovering it, coming back to the faith after being brought up at least with the knowledge of the faith as a child and then straying very far away. His, uh, his great mother, Saint Monica, Monica was uh, was a Christian, and her uh, husband was a pagan, and he mistreated her. The husband uh, mistreated Saint Monica, and uh, she she was just a model of, of patience, of prayer. She went and uh, when her son Augustine had gone off the rails so much, he got mixed up with a group called the Manichees. Maybe the Manichaeism around today. Manichaeism held that there were two gods. It said there's a good God who made all the spiritual things, and there was a bad God who made all things like bodies and physical things and food and sex and all evil things. That's what the Manichaeism said. And uh, and the and so the Manichaeism said, well, anything that you do in the body. Is, is not really, doesn't really matter because the most important thing is that you'll, you'll be spiritual. And anything you do in the body, there's a dichotomy, there's a big break between the spirit and the body. And uh, it doesn't really matter what you do in the body because as long as you're a spiritual person. Well, sorry, the devil is a spiritual person. He is, he's a pure spirit. And... Uh, if you ask my six-year-old, she says he's got an invisible body, but that's not true. And uh, and so this division between the spirit and the body, this opposition, 
So spirit is good and body is bad. This, this is what the Manichees taught. And that the body was from an evil god who, who is, and, and, uh, and the spirit was from the good god. So Augustine got mixed up with this uh, group and the Manichees, because they said it doesn't really matter what you do in the body, well, what did they do? They had drunken orgies, like really just grotesque, horrible uh, parties and festivals and so on, because they said it doesn't matter what you do in the body. You can attack who you want, hurt who you want, rape, pillage, doesn't matter, because that's only your body. And it's like the kids at school and they they hit one of their friends and they say, oh, the devil made me do it. You know? <laughs> it's not true. You've got free will of yourself. The, uh, and so Augustine was, uh, uh, was mixed up with this Manichees. He, he dismissed all of this idea of Christianity. And uh, he really thought that the Manichees were a Christian um, heresy. Uh, that the, he thought that Manichaeism was, was the way to go. And, uh, and then they said, well, Manichaeans had their own bishop, and uh, when the bishop came, our false bishop, anyway, when the bishop came, because Augustine used to ask all of these questions, and they said, you wait till this great uh, teacher comes. When he comes here, he'll be able to answer all of your questions for you. And, uh, and so when the, teacher, the great teacher came, and Augustine asked him, and he couldn't answer any of them. But before all of that, Augustine, about age 18 or so, or 20, had a tremendous influence on all the people around him, on his friends. And he was uh, very caught up in, in this false, these false ideas, and he was also caught up in the sins of the flesh. And Augustine, uh, Augustine's mother, St. Monica, went and spoke to this bishop. Uh, later on, uh, she met up with St. Ambrose, who was the Bishop of Milan. But... Uh, uh, we're not told who that earlier bishop was, and it was probably St. Ambrose, but I'm not sure. Uh, and she went up to this bishop and she said, talk to my son. And the bishop said, no. And, but can't you see? He's caught up in this sin, he's caught up in these errors. Talk to him. And the bishop said, no. He's not ready. He's not ready to listen. He's still caught up with the novelty of it all. Now is not the time to speak to him. And so Monica didn't listen to any of that. She said, talk to him. <laughs> you can understand a mother appealing. She's, she can just see her son getting caught in the in complete destruction of his own life and destroying other people's lives as well. And uh, she, she and the bishop said, look, when I was a boy, my mother, who was misguided, put me into this sect known as the Manichees. It's the very same one that your son is caught up with now. My mother thought they were good or spiritual people because they spoke about spiritual things. And she, she and, and I got caught up with them. And I was completely, completely caught uh, in their trap. But as I saw and as I read and followed the teachings, I realised the errors of them. I realised how many contradictions there were. Well, there can't be contradictions in the truth because there's no contradiction. All truth comes from God and there's no contradiction in God. And Augustine, uh, so this bishop said to St. Monica, your son too will see the error of his ways. 
and and uh, Saint Monica still appealed, and the bishop said, perhaps with a little tone of impatience, he said, "Go away, woman, and leave me in peace." It is not possible that the son of these tears should be lost. Your tears, your prayers, your sacrifices will not be wasted. St. Augustine writes very beautifully in Book 9 of... Uh, when I say Book 9, that's not Book 1, that's Books 1 to 13. Right? Book 9 is like Chapter 9, if you like, uh, of the, of the uh, Confessions. He writes very beautifully about... Um, about his mother and tells a little bit about her life. Just, um, he was saying how he was brought up in modesty and temperance and then, and then, uh, his, here's a piece here, he said that, um, uh, many women whose faces were disfigured by blows from husbands, uh, used to gossip together and complain of the behaviour of their menfolk. And my mother would make this complaint with another about the women's tongues. Seems very harsh, but her manner was light, but her meaning was serious. And she told them that, um, that they used to remark how surprising it was that they had never heard or seen any marks to show that Patricius had beaten his wife, or there had been any domestic disagreement between them, even for one day, because um, she she uh, she treated. Uh, her husband and her her family with with such love and tenderness. In the end, her husband was was moved and was converted by by her own uh, her own virtue. We read how early on, when Saint Monica was a, a, a little girl, she was she was um, a very rich from a rich family, and she her parents used to send her downstairs with the servant girl to to get the wine from the cellar, bring it upstairs. And, and so Monica, when she was, I don't know, maybe, maybe nine years old or so, would just take a, a little drop of wine and, uh, and you know, one drop the next day became two drops and became three drops. Eventually she started to, to drink, I don't know what, what age, but a drink like maybe half a glass of wine or something. And, uh, and the servant girl, who was about her age, yeah, got angry with her um, in a fight one time and, and called her a drunkard. And uh, Saint Monica took the took the insult, and from that day just stopped altogether. She just didn't realise that you know she was taking a little bit too much, and I don't know how old she was by now, and and. Yeah, but instead of throwing that insult back in the servant's face, uh, she she accepted it with humility and repented immediately. Now, Augustine goes on, A truth, how truth, even when he was caught up in this um, uh, in this youth with the Manichees, he says, A truth, how truth, how deep, even then, was the yearning for you in the inmost depths of my mind. And then he started reading the scriptures, but he went astray. He started distorting them, following wrong interpretations. And he said, I thought that I could fly and left the nest, and before I could fly, I fell. 
told you, he uses good examples, doesn't he? He gives another one about uh, the devil is like a dog on a chain. If you get bitten, it's your own fault. So yes, he had met the Manichees, and uh, and then he 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 followed their propaganda, and uh, and then he he thought, well, I'm not I'm not going to have any faith. I'm just going to follow reason. I'm going to be rational. I'm going to be scientific, intellectual, academic, and uh, and then after a after a while he. He, he realised that it was impossible that the path of truth should be closed to the human mind. And uh, he says, well, he, he, he said he didn't want to commit himself to any, any particular philosophical position and so he said it was like a rudder. They kept his rudder, the, 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 uh, the teachers kept his rudder for long in the middle of the streams resisting all winds. And so he was drifting everywhere, he didn't know where he was going. But then he came to realise that we've all got this uh, desire in our hearts for the truth. We've got the desire to know the truth, to love the truth. Certainly if somebody lies to us, we feel cheated, don't we? Uh, We feel deceived. And uh, we want people to to be truthful with us. And Augustine said, well, if we've got this strong conviction for the truth, this desire for the truth, it must be there for a reason. The human nature has got this desire for the truth. So that spurred him on. So let us seek more diligently and not despair. So he continued to search and then uh, he, he came to a point where he understood that reason and faith are two forces that cooperate to bring the human person to know the truth. Remember those two ones, reason and faith. Faith, we know, is believing. But not just believing anything, but believing on the authority of God. We believe things on faith, we believe simply because God said it. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Now, that's, uh, that was on a fridge magnet. I, 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 don't, uh, I don't get here and get paid all this big money by them and Veron to, uh, <laughs> to tell you... Um, to give you fridge magnets, um, but but the the thing is that uh, we have faith, we believe, provided God really did say it. People sometimes imagine things that God said, or they distort things that God said, and then God didn't really say it. But uh, uh, he understood that reason and faith, so reason as well, being able to think things through for ourselves, even without God telling us, even without revelation. Reason and faith are two forces that cooperate to bring the human person to know the truth. These are the words of Pope John Paul II. And uh, John Paul, I think his, I think perhaps his last encyclical, no, no, maybe it wasn't his last encyclical, was on faith and reason. Fides et ratio it's called, and he said that uh, faith and reason are two wings carrying the human spirit to the contemplation of God. And so Augustine says that the authority is first in the order of time. First we know God said it. We don't know why. We don't know whether it's true. We know that God said it. So in the order of time comes the authority of God. But in reality the primacy, the first becomes the reason. God is not going to, to 
lead us to something that is against reason, that is irrational, unreasonable. All sin is unreasonable, by the way. I haven't spoken much about St. Augustine's sins, but he was, uh, 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 he had, he had, uh, he, he used to commit lots of sins of the flesh. He was sleeping around a lot. He had a, 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 a concubine. Well, it was a, mar- a marriage in, um, in Roman law that had, as well as, well, they had a, a marriage which you could have which was not a marriage for life. It was, it was a legal contract which could be mutually broken. Mm-hmm. The, the point is that St. Augustine did confess that he was unchaste. And whether it was one or with many, he was still unchaste. Yes, he did have a son, and the son's name was Adeodatos. A Deo, Adeo, from God, Datos, given from God, a gift from God. Adeodatos uh, died, uh, died at age uh, 14, I think he was. And, um, and, uh, the, and Augustine tells us about his, his grief uh, then when his, when his own son died, his, his wife, his, when after his conversion, this so-called wife, uh, it's really lucky the fact that relationship in a way, and although it was, it was recognised in, in Roman law that you could have a wife, but only for, if you wanted to, you could have it just for a, a fixed amount of time, or you could break the contract. That was a legal contract. Well, we laugh today, but that's exactly what happens today when de facto uh, marriages, so-called, are uh, given the same recognition as the true marriage, which is for life. And uh, uh, anyway, Augustine cast her away and told her, "Look, you know, we, I can't be doing this anymore. I can't be living with you as husband. I can't be living as husband and wife because we're not." And she she cast him away. We don't know. He cast her away, and we don't know what happened to her. But presumably, through his prayers, hopefully, she was she was converted. And um, we, we don't know. But uh, the, the Augustine was the first question that he asked was about the serious question of evil, which was his great torment. He, he asked not so much what was the origin of evil, but what it was. A little aside. Saint uh, Thomas Aquinas was uh, invited to a banquet at the uh, the, the king of France's uh, table. He, he was invited to the banquet, and um, Thomas was such a contemplative that he used to have somebody who would who would have to check all of his food before before it went into his mouth because he would just swallow bones or anything. You know, <laughs> he was just thinking all the time. He was contemplating all the time. Maybe not very good for your digestion, but he he. Uh, uh, and Chesterton tells this uh, story very well, uh, which I probably won't be able to repeat, but Chesterton says that St. Thomas was at the French dinner table and, and, uh, and, that he, and Chesterton says that even at a French dinner table there is sometimes a break in the conversation, which happened. And at that point, when there's just a sudden moment of silence, St. Thomas put his hand on the table and he said, and that will answer the Manichaeans. <laughs> and everybody was, was sort of upset and embarrassed because, the, you know, this is the king's banquet, right? 
But the king was smart enough to say, go get him something to write on. <laughs> He's thought of something good, get him something to write on. And uh, what St. Thomas had come up with, which was the same solution that, that Augustine came up with, what is the question of evil? If God made everything, who made evil? Well, did God make the devil? Yes, does anybody say no? God made the devil. Did God make evil? No? Okay, so there's something that God didn't make. I'm tricking you here. Is there something that God didn't make? Did God make everything? Yeah? Except himself? Yes? God made all things. Did God make evil? Well, isn't that the absence of wounds? Yeah. Good answer. You've obviously read St. Augustine's. Somebody has just answered that evil is a lack of good that should be there. It's something missing. Did God make the missing? Did God make the thing that's lacking? What the Manichae said was that evil was a positive reality. Was a, uh, uh, there, was, there was a block of evil and a block of good and they were in battle with each other from the God of good and from the good God and the evil God and they were fighting with each other. But um, Augustine realised that uh, that evil is not a substance but the lack of good because what he said is all that exists is good and the evil that I was asking where it comes from that's not even a substance, it's not a thing. It's something missing. If you are... Uh, uh, if you tell some, if, you, if, if I tell, if I, if I make a statement, uh, my statement is, is true, well there's something good in that. What if I make a statement and, it's, and I'm, I'm lying? It's still a statement. It's a false statement. Hmm? It's a false statement. It's a lie. There's something missing there, isn't there? Because what is in my mouth doesn't match with what's in my mind. Okay, I'm telling a lie. That's an evil there, isn't there? There's some sort of evil. There's something missing that should be there. What should be there? That my mind, my lips should match my mind. Uh, I don't have to tell you the whole truth. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But I can't tell you a lie. I can withhold the truth. I might I'll tell you, somebody said, Did, uh, well, what's that secret that someone has confided to you? Well, I might not tell you, but I can't go and say a lie and go and lie about it. That's an evil, isn't it? If I, there's something missing. Is, and so too with evil, it's a, it's a difficult question, isn't it, this question of evil. But all that exists in good, God is the creator of everything, nothing that exists was not created by him. And then, but of course he realised that there was one thing to to know the goal and another thing to reach it. How many people say I'd love to be a saint? Yeah, great. Okay, that's, that's the idea. What about here and now in the concrete? Oh, well, I'd love to know what God wants me to do with my life. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm just going to keep thinking about it until I can see what God wants me to do with my life. Okay, well, mate, the first thing God wants you to do with your life is to tidy your room. You know? 
What does he want you to do with your life this week? There's a question. You know, worry about your vocation. Let's start from right, right here and now. It's something that God wants you to do. And God will give you the grace at the moment to do it. So Augustine understood that there's one thing to know the God, but another to reach it. And so, uh, and he was aware of his own sinfulness too. I mean, his sins of the flesh were not the worst of his sins. The worst of his sins were the sins of the sins against the truth, because he not only believed lies, he taught them, and because he was so influential, he he taught them to others and he led others astray, which is a very dangerous thing to do. Yeah, may God preserve anybody who is in a teaching role from leading others astray willfully. Unwillingly, or sometimes you can do it in spite of yourself, but but if you do it willingly, that's that would be the worst thing that a teacher can do, is to lead people away from the truth. Now, Augustine realised, he said that he made the discovery that sin has its origin in the will of the human person. Don't blame anyone else. Blame them. He says, it was I who willed and refused. It was I, I. And uh, he said that even as a boy he had heard uh, about the eternal life promised to us by the God who is, who in his humility came down to our pride. What a beautiful expression. Speaking of the incarnation. God who in his humility came down to our pride. It reminds me in the words of the Mass uh, by the mystery of this water and wine. Those of you who were altar boys would know. Uh, you heard Father pouring the water and the wine. Priests usually say this uh, silently, but by the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. Augustine was a very successful man. He was a, um, he was a, a, a rising star. He was great in rhetoric, teaching, uh, teaching people how to speak, public speaking. And uh, and he was he was getting honours, money, marriage, all sorts of things were coming his way if he wanted them. But after his con- conversion, he knew well that he wasn't forbidden to marry, even though the Manichees said that marriage is, e- is evil. He realised that you no, know, wasn't forbidden to marry, but uh, but he he didn't want to be a Catholic Christian in any other way. Except by, he uses that expression, Catholic Christian, by the way, Augustine does. Any other way other than by renouncing the excellent ideal of the family. I love John Paul's expressions here. By renouncing the excellent ideal of the family. Not by despising the family, but by renouncing the excellent ideal of raising a family, of being a husband and father. A great thing. But... He didn't want to be a Catholic Christian in any other way except by renouncing that ideal of, be, of having his own family in order to dedicate himself with all his soul to the love and possession of wisdom. You know, you don't become wise. You think of um, uh, child prodigies. You might have seen some on the news or something, some ten-year-old who's got a university degree or something like that. What... Uh, what is their field, their expertise? Where, where did the child prodigies show 
You say, oh, there's a boy genius. Where, where do you see it? Generally, and you were playing the piano then? You played it very nicely. Music? And the other area? Science? Mm, mathematics. Maths. Maths. Yes, mathematics. Yeah, maths especially. Because maths and music don't require so much experience. Whereas wisdom, ah, that's a different thing. There used to be a philosopher in Sydney. He used to say, you'll study philosophy when you're young and you'll become philosophers when you're old. And it's very true. You need the experience of, of, uh, of suffering especially and of contemplating and of silence. And uh, Olesson was a great lover of silence even though he was so eloquent a speaker. And uh, you see that uh, the fifth, the joyful mystery of the rosary, they were baffled by, remember our Lord is lost in the temple? <coughs> he was not lost, but he was lost to his parents. And, uh, and he was there asking the doctors questions, and they were stumped by his not by his answers, by his wisdom. Not by his knowledge of maths, which any 12-year-old who's a bit bright might get there, or by his brilliance in music. I'm sure our Lord would have been a great mathematician or a great musician, but, but by his wisdom. He was wise even as a child. Now that's something that we don't find. They were baffled by his wisdom. So Augustine decided after his conversion to dedicate himself with all his soul to the love and possession of wisdom. And then he had heard about this, um, uh, about this bishop, uh, Ambrose, who was himself a convert. And I think it's right to say that Ambrose was elected bishop, was appointed bishop while he was still a catechumen. Ambrose was appointed the bishop of Milan before he had even been baptised. He was the bishop-elect. He wasn't yet a Christian. Baptism of desire. So, it's uh, rising through the ranks pretty quickly, isn't it? Eh? But, uh, Ambrose was a great speaker. He was a, 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 a very eloquent speaker. And everybody told Augustine, come and listen to Ambrose. He's a great speaker. And Augustine said, alright, I'll come and listen to him. I know that what he says is absolute rubbish because it's all about this Christian Christianity and this Catholic understanding of the scripture and so on. I know that's a lot of rubbish. I'm not going to come and listen to that. But I want to hear how beautiful his words are anyway. And uh, once Augustine got there, he realised that it wasn't the beautiful words, the captivating words that got him, it was the truth behind them. That was what uh, touched his heart. How long did he have to, how far did he have to travel to to the land. To, yeah, he had to go from Rome to Milan. Yes, well, he 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 would have. I mean, he st he started off in uh, in Africa, in uh, Tagust, in north of Africa, which is today's Morocco. I understand. I think this is right. Uh, that uh, a year after Augustine had um, had died the whole church in the whole of North Africa had been destroyed, had gone. Now think of Morocco today. What is it? A Muslim country. That was a Christian country. Unbelievable, wasn't it? 
Augustine enrolled among the catechumens and was baptized on the night of Holy Saturday, April the 23rd, 24th, by Ambrose, the bishop from whose preaching he had learned so much. We were baptized, there were a few of them, and the care of the past life fled from us. And I could not have enough in those days of the wonderful sweetness of contemplating the height of your plan of salvation for the human race. How much I wept at the hymns and canticles moved by the sweet voices of your church. Augustine has got a great, even though he's very intellectual and um, uh, too academic and so on, he really, he, he, he really appeals to people who've got a big heart as well. He's full of emotion as well. He's got it all. Augustine is wonderful. When he arrived, uh, and so he, 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 after baptism, he made this holy resolution to found this, uh, this group of friends to live with his friends uh, in Tagust, in his native town, and there, where he went after the death of his mother, St. Monica. But he spent a few months in Rome first to study the monastic movement. When he arrived at Tagust, this is in the north of Africa, having now cast off from himself the cares of the world, he lived for God with those who accompanied him in fasting, prayers and good works, meditating on the law of the Lord by day and by night. So he's really become like a monk and uh, a passionate lover of the truth. And he taught about what he... St. Dominic has got a beautiful expression. Contemplare et contemplata trovere. Okay, we'll move on. No, I'll translate it, please. Contem <laughs> contemplate and pass on your contemplation. Pass on the fruits of your contemplation. This is from the head, the founder of the Order of Preachers, whose star is, uh, is, is, is his greatest uh, glory is uh, St. Thomas Aquinas himself. Contemplate, first of all. You want to preach? You've got to pray first. And... There are no priests listening. I would tell the priest, if there's none listening, I would, I would say to the priest, you can tell, not so much whether you've prepared this sermon or not, but you can tell if you pray or not. That's the difference between a good, a good homily and a bad one. Um, you're speaking a lot about contemplation. Is that type of prayer? Is oh, yes. Contemplation is a type of prayer. It's a... a well, we, we could really speak of um, meditation first of all, which is uh, like chewing over the the, uh, the 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 thoughts. Well, we, we could speak of vocal prayer, meditation, and contemplation. So, vocal prayer are the prayers where we use words, whether we actually move our lips or not. It's uh, a vocal prayer, such as when you pray the rosary, for example. Um, and liturgical prayer is going to be. Uh, vocal prayer, primarily at least. Then you have meditation, where you might be sitting down with, uh, uh, well, with the words of Scripture or the words of um, Saint Augustine, and uh, you might be reading through it, talking to God, uh, and 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 listening to God. Uh, but it's more a kind of an elevated study, not merely studying. Uh, the way that an academic or a student might, but studying with with prayer, studying with love, and uh, and turning that 
study, that reading, into prayer. It, it, you can meditate without reading. I mean, you might be meditating on a statue in the church, and it's what they're there for, or for on a holy card or a holy picture or something like that. So it's like through your mind... Yeah, that's right. And you're sort of reasoning things through and thinking through and yeah. elevating the mind and heart to God, which is, of course, what prayer is. Uh, and with contemplation is, is, well, especially with infused contemplation, is when God just gives you glimpses, lightning flashes for himself, just, just for you, without, even without your work. Uh, that's... The infused contemplation. Is that usually um, more common amongst um, holier and, and oh, yes, it's what, the saints? Yeah, it's, it, it can happen at any stage in the spiritual life. I'm not talking about visions and things yeah, like this. I'm talking about a, a, a real touch of your interior, um, not just in the emotions, but uh, a touching of your mind and your heart. Uh, and that could happen even even while you're mowing the lawn or something. Yeah. It's more likely to happen while you're praying. But, uh, but um, uh, yeah, but the, yeah, so the, you've got this uh, uh, contemplation, which, was, which is, I suppose you might call it a divine touch uh, from, from God. And, uh, and, yeah, and so one moment of that can make, can draw you closer to God than 20 years of... Um, <laughs> you know, meditation. Yeah. But then again, one moment, one holy communion could make you holier than than the last ten years of going to holy communion every day has made you, because because you respond more generously to the grace of God. And so Augustine had this contemplation. He was touched with this divine light, and uh, spilling out from that. That overflowed really to in his writings, in his teachings, and in his words, in his actions. Okay. The, the question or the comment is about the difference between Eastern meditation, by which we mean not Eastern Christian meditation, but uh, the Buddhist med- meditation primarily, and 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 Christian meditation. The difference. In a nutshell, is that Eastern meditation is contemplating yourself, and Christian meditation is contemplating God. Maybe you think about yourself too, but in the light of God. Eastern meditation is all about Eastern Buddhist and New Age and so It's about emptying yourself, purging yourself, running away from yourself, whereas Christian meditation is about entering into yourself to find God. To find where God is uh, speaking to you is uh, read the confessions, especially book one. Even if you haven't, uh, even if you find it very heavy going, read at least book one of the confessions. It's one chapter, like 15 pages or something like that. And uh, if you don't have the money, just sneak into a bookshop or something. But uh, you'll be surprised. It'll be in, in the Christian classics. You'll find the confessions in in many, many, uh, certainly in the larger bookshops. But read it, because Augustine speaks, you remember that passage that I read before randomly about entering into yourself and finding God? Yeah. I sought you. He sought God in every every single place except uh, within. But not just meditating yourself, it's meditating God. Okay, that's that's really the difference, is that finding is that God... 
within you. It's um, yeah. Sorry, I probably I haven't done that uh, uh, justice. Augustine went to Hippo uh, looking to for a site to found a monastery. Popped down to the local real estate and asked, "Do you have any monasteries, any places suitable for monastery?" And uh, and then he realised that um, maybe God was calling him more to an active life. He wanted the, the contemplative life, but he felt called by the needs of the church to a more active life. And uh, I, I mean, it's helpful for us to look at the conversion of uh, Augustine. We'll get back to his um, uh, to his active life in a moment, but it's. It's good for us to realise how easy it is to go astray on the path of life and how difficult it is to rediscover the way of truth. Well, the message is don't go astray in the first place, but if we do, or if we know others who have, don't be too shocked. And don't be, don't despair of people who are taking sometimes years to seem to take even a little step, or they take a little step forward and, forward and seem to go back even further than they were beforehand. Uh, it's, um, uh, it's, a, it's a lifelong process. As, as I said earlier on, the saints don't begin well, but they end well. And, uh, and so Augustine, um, from the time of his conversion, he realised uh, and he recognised the gratitude that God has provided uh, by giving Christ through the church. And, uh, and so he felt the call to, uh, he followed the call to uh, to be of service to the church, the servants of the servants of God. Uh, he accepted the burden of becoming a, a, a bishop, and he also taught through his example and his writings how to preserve the taste for prayer and contemplation, even in the midst of pastoral activity. If I went around and asked you, what is the biggest obstacle to you becoming a saint right now? Well, you'd probably put it down to, you, know, you probably mentioned busyness. Why don't you, well, you'd say, oh, look, I'm not praying enough. Well, why aren't you praying enough? Too busy. Well, that's really going to look good on your resume when you get to heaven, isn't it? You're too busy? Wait, busy doing what? I was busy, uh, yeah. Uh, why didn't you talk to me, our Lord said? The Lord says, I was busy. Oh, okay. Well, Augustine taught how to be prayerful in the midst of pastoral activity. And uh, that's an amazing thing. I mean, in a sense, it seems um, more more easy to be a saint when we go off uh, to a monastery. Well, it's not it's got the same difficulties, but, but it seems in a way that we'd love to be contemplative when in fact what we really want to love to be is lazy. I mean, I know contemplative nuns, I know some, and they work very, very hard. It's hard work in their monastery. And uh, you, you, uh, you, you don't, you don't uh, join the convent to escape, to escape duty or escape the world. Didn't work for me. And, uh, when I tried to join the convent, I said, no, no. <laughs> Now, the love of the truth seeks the holy repose of leisure, but the necessity of love takes on duty, takes on the just duty. 
So we love the truth, so we want leisure. Leisure is not sitting down and watching DVDs. Leisure is, is resting in contemplation of God. That's how we're supposed to spend Sunday. That's what Sunday is all about, the day of rest, is resting in the Lord. And, uh, and so, the love of the truth seeks the holy repose of leisure. Yeah, that word leisure is uh, really distorted today. It doesn't really get the full, the full sense of it. But the necessity of love takes on duty. So sometimes we have duty and we just have to follow it. Much as we'd love to be praying, we can't. We've got to call here and now. We've got to go and get the baby in the middle of the night. He's crying. And, uh, yeah. And so Augustine took on the duty of being a bishop in a very dramatic time in the church. And his apostolate had three fields. First, the local church of Hippo, which wasn't large, but it was in trouble, it was needy. Second was the African church, which was sadly divided between Catholics and Donatists. And uh, Mr. Haddad can explain to you what sort of heretics the Donatists were. I can't remember. And the universal church, which was attacked by paganism and Manichaeism. In fact, Augustine, his own life was in threat. And he didn't want to be safe without his faithful. He stayed with them. Because the enemies of the church realised that Augustine was a great, powerful leader who was uh, likely to lead many people back, which is exactly what he did. And at a time of extreme danger, because of the invasion by the Vandals, he taught his priests to stay among their faithful, even at the risk of their own lives. We think today of the priests who are in... Uh, in Iraq or, uh, or other countries now, Catholic priests who are staying in Turkey uh, places where, where their lives are really in danger they have no legal protection whatsoever and uh, he says let us see what, how the bishop who is set over others is a servant he's a servant the same way as the Lord himself was how was our Lord a servant? by becoming the suffering man, the suffering servant, mentioned in Isaiah 51. He preached, Augustine preached uh, frequently throughout the entire week. He preached on Saturday and Sunday. In catechesis he held what's called the bishop's audience, which sometimes lasted for an entire day so that he did not eat. He left the church a very numerous clergy Monasteries of men and women full of those consecrated to chastity under their superiors. And he left libraries as well. This is Augustine in the north of Africa. Where is the church there today? All but gone. He, he was a great reconciler. The work of uh, terminating this uh, Donatist schism which divided the church into two parties. And that was his great success. Even in the last years of his life, he would dictate one work by night and another when he was free by day. He was dictating. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas is supposed to have had uh, three or five scribes working on different subjects all at the same time. He'd be dictating five, yeah. Yeah, I think it was five. He'd be dictating on five different topics at the same time. 
and you, he would actually talk, and then he would sort of like be able to sort of like tell an athlete, and then we'd know which ones to write. And we'd talk about five different topics all at the same time. Yes, he'd be talking on five on five different subjects, and, uh, and with the most perfect order, and uh, explaining it. Wonderful. And then uh, he didn't have writer's cramp, did he? Now, uh, Augustine died at the age of 76, and he left three works uh, unfinished. But uh, he, he left us some wonderful works. The work on the bishop, on the shepherds it's called, uh, one on the, on the Blessed Trinity, uh, his teaching on what is a just war. I've mentioned the confession, the city of God, countless sermons. Augustine teaches that the person who searches for truth is not to despair of finding it. Don't give up. Same, same in overcoming your sins. In triumphing, uh, uh, if you want to triumph over your sins, for as long as you are struggling, you are winning. You keep on fighting. I mean, you think of a little child who, who, who's just starting to learn to walk. He gets up, he takes the first two steps, and then he trips over. What did the parents do? Stupid kid! Why can't you learn to walk? You know, little mum and dad know how to walk. What's wrong with you? That's not what they do. Especially the first child. What do they do? I, I know a mother who. Puts her foot back on, you know, she doesn't want him walking too fast, so <laughs> tries to put him down again. But uh, what do they do? They race for the phone. I've got to ring my parents. No, 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 I've got to ring my mum first. Mine's more important than yours. No, 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 I've got to ring mine. No, she took two steps. No, she took three. Oh, yeah, it must have been three. Oh, well, maybe it was four. Did you get it on camera? Everyone's so excited. The poor kid's still falling down on the floor. You know? But uh, we don't get discouraged in the battle. To, uh, in the battle for the truth, in the battle to overcome our sins, in the triumph of grace. For as long as we're struggling, we're winning. It seems to me, said Augustine, that one must bring men back to the hope of finding the truth. And there is a great despair of truth today. There are a lot of people around, a lot of philosophy on the radio, you'll hear it all the time on TV, where people despair of absolutes. Think of how many women that you know of who just say, I'd love to get married, but nobody wants to marry, so I'm going to live with this guy instead. It's, this, it's the next best thing. Next best thing is a bad thing. I'm going to live with him anyway, because he won't marry me, he doesn't want commitment. What is this? Think how many men. Uh, uh, despairing of the possibility of being able to give them, give their hearts for life. Oh, I could never do it. Well, Augustine says one must bring men back to the hope of finding the truth, and and we must overcome the doubts about the possibility of returning into ourselves to know ourselves truly. He had, Augustine left a great teaching for theologians. Uh, implying the full adherence, his method was full adherence to the authority of faith. Because if you don't have faith, you don't have theology. No faith, no theology. Why? Because theology proceeds from faith. He reads scripture in the church, taking account of the tradition. In fact, he says, I would not believe in the gospel unless I were moved to do so by the authority of the Catholic Church. I would not believe the gospel unless I was moved to do so 
by the authority of the Catholic Church. Augustine has got a great, St. Augustine has got a great um, uh, teaching on Scripture. He says that the new is contained in the old, and the old is, uh, is, is in the new. The new gives light to the old. So the old, what is in the Old Testament is in seed, and we see the, the flower and the fruit in the New Testament. And, and uh, Augustine says about God and man, what do you wish to know, he asks himself, and he says, God and the soul are what I wish to know. Nothing more, nothing at all. The city of God we've spoken of, where the victory is the truth, where dignity is holiness, where peace is happiness, and where life is eternal eternity. He, um, he speaks of, uh, the, the young people whom Augustine greatly loved, he recalls three great things to them. Truth, Love and freedom. Anybody against any of those? Huh? Truth, love and freedom. And he also appeals to beauty. He invites them to love beauty, for he himself is a great lover of beauty. Not only the beauty of bodies, which could make one forget the beauty of the spirit, nor only the beauty of art, but the interior beauty of virtue. There is something beautiful and captivating about someone who is has got a simple, humble, charitable heart. It's something very attractive about it. Very winning, isn't it? Augustine calls God the beauty of all beauties, and he uh, he he. I'm going to quote. Uh, perhaps I'll I'll end now. Uh, I might finish with uh, Augustine's appeal to beauty. Let me give two more quotes that I just in the back of my mind. One is uh, Augustine's practical advice about peace. Peace, he says, is the tranquility of order. Everything's in the right place. Everything's where it should be. Then we have peace. And uh, you don't have the tyrants ruling over the over the, the oppressed, you have peace. It's, everything is in the right order. Everything's in the right place. Not just physically, but morally. And uh, the other one is a piece of advice he gives when you're, uh, when somebody, when, when you have to give, when you're called to give some, some arms, uh, I don't mean physical arms, A-L-M-S, when you give arms, arms giving to the poor. And sometimes, should I give or not? And so on. How much should I give? Augustine says, give in such a way that you will harm neither the recipient nor the giver. Very wise advice. You might be giving, if somebody is very, uh, you, know, you can see that he's drunk and he's just outside the pub and he asks for some money, you're not going to do him a favour by giving him some money. And so too, if you give in such a way that it's going to send your five-year-old out to, to, to sell newspapers to make up for that. You know, well, you're also you're doing harm to the giver. And so give in such a way that will do harm neither to the giver, neither to the recipient, nor the giver. And, uh, but he finishes, yes, in, the, in his uh, book 10. Too late have I loved thee, a beauty ever ancient, ever new. 
Too late have I loved thee. You were within me, and I was in the world outside myself. I searched for you outside myself, and disfigured as I was, I fell upon the lovely things of your creation. You were with me, but I was not with you. The beautiful things of this world kept me far from you, and yet if they had not been in you, they would have had no being at all. You see, he felt this attraction of beauty, of the beauty of the, uh, things around him, including people. He felt the attraction of their beauty, but he wanted the good things of God, but without God. That's what we call sin. You called me, you cried aloud to me, you broke my barrier of deafness. You shone upon me, your radiance enveloped me, you put my blindness to flight. You shed your fragrance about me, I drew breath, and now I gasp for your sweet odour. I tasted you, and now I hunger and thirst for you. You touched me, and I am inflamed with love of your peace. It's a beautiful novel written by Louis de Waal, D-E, the second word is W-O-H-L. He wrote a number of historical novels based on the saints, and the one that he wrote on St. Augustine, very well worth reading. I used that last expression, you touched me and I am inflamed with love of your peace. And he calls uh, this novel The Restless Flame about uh, St. Augustine. A very great saint and uh, we can, with his feast day on the 28th of August, we can, uh, and St. Monica on the 27th of August, we can uh, invoke, invoke their prayers uh, to lead us on the path of truth and contemplation and holiness. You have been listening to a Lumen Verum Apologetics Lecture by Anthony English. For more Lumen Verum Apologetics Lectures, visit cradio.org.au.